podcast of Talk Concord, a city initiative to bring you information about current and future happenings in the city of Concord, centred around why it's a great place to live, work, play and invest. We will be inviting members of the community to join us to talk about business, art and entertainment, tourism, health and more. Access is via our SoundCloud account or via our website www.concordnh.gov. So, some Susie updates. The City and Chamber of Commerce are working with the New Hampshire Small Business Development Centre and we've launched a couple of drop-in locations for Concord-based businesses to drop in and meet an advisor at the City's Community Centre on the Heights. Please send me an email if you need more details on this great opportunity. That's spegg, S-P-E-G-G, at concordnh.gov. And there's no denying that the white stuff has finally arrived and that means parking bans so our guys can remove snow and make it safe for all of you to get around the city. If you've not already signed up, please sign up for updates on snow removal on the city's website. And the arena is open for ice skating again. Details are on the city's website and you can sign up for lessons via the park and recs. Sign up for Burbio to keep you updated on events at the library, parks and recs and city council meetings. And we have an event coming up on Thursday, January the 30th next year from 7 till 9 where the Director of Real Estate Assessments, Kathy Temchek, will hold a public forum in City Council Chambers where she will give a presentation on the assessing processes including assessments, abatements, exemptions, credits and tax billing. All are welcome to attend. And the Parks and Recs have their winter brochure out so, so many activities are on offer to keep you active during the winter months. Take time to check them out. Today, I am pleased to welcome a special guest from the city, Carlos Baye, my boss and the Deputy City Manager of the Community Development. Welcome, Carlos. Thanks, Susie. It's great to be here. Tell our listeners a little bit about you and what brought you to Concord. Sure. So uh, so I was born and raised in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Um, and when I was uh, went to college at Brandeis University in Waltham, Mass., and there I met the woman who ultimately would become my wife. <laughs> I love to say it was teenage love. We met when we were 19 years old. Oh, yes, it is teenage. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, eventually she moved to Florida, and I followed her down there, and I uh, took a job as the economic development manager for a great community called Deerfield Beach, which mm-hmm. is in Broward County in South Florida. Nice. Uh, did all... We had a great management team there, did all kinds of great projects, outstanding things. The uh, beauty of that job particularly was that I was my office was about 10 minutes from the most gorgeous beach in the entire oh, state, in my opinion. How nice. It was <laughs> that in Concord. <laughs> it was really, really good. Yeah, when it's 80 degrees in January, you can truly appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we did, like I said, a lot of great accomplishments. And we got to a point, my wife and I, where our family was growing and the local politics had changed. So we decided it was probably a good opportunity to look for a next stage in our career and our personal advancement. And so we decided to look at New England so mm-hmm. I could be closer to my dad. And uh, at the time, this was 2007, mm-hmm. um, the city manager, Thomas Bell, had just created a new position thanks to council's blessing for a deputy city manager Good. for development. And the skill sets they were looking for matched perfectly with mine, and I thought it was a great opportunity. And here I am. <laughs> and it was great. Nice little transition. I moved from the tropics to a uh, place by first winter here. There's 10 feet of snow. Oh, that's a bit of a shocker. <laughs> it was quite a shocker, particularly for my uh, Caribbean wife. And so, but it all worked out great. It's a wonderful, wonderful community. Yes, and I've had the is. pleasure of working here for the last 12 years. And it's great to, to work with you as a team member as well. So Likewise. It's, it's, it's good stuff. So, um, tell us a bit, our listeners, a little bit about the role of community development in the city and a little, uh, explain a little about the departments or the divisions that make up the department. 
So community development actually is a very interesting department in the sense that we have uh, probably the most external face of a, of a lot of the city departments in the sense that we touch our residents in a number of facets mm -hmm. in their lives. Uh, so for example, one of our divisions is engineering. So the engineering department, or division I should say, they design all the roads, they design the great roundabouts that we've got in our community. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you look at the best roundabouts in our community, those are the ones that were designed by us. <laughs> of course. The ones that aren't <laughs> as great were designed by the state. Uh, so those, uh, that Route 3 improvement project, for example, that if you live in West Concord like I do, you probably yeah. remember that because it took seven to eight years just because it was such a monumental wow. initiative. Yeah. Um, so engineering managed that. And, of course, the Main Street project yes. where they yes. led the, the project and they managed the construction of it. So they have a very, you know, if, you're, if you've commuted in Concord, you've been touched by the engineering <laughs> division. Uh, the second division is planning. So planning... Their bread and butter are site plan and subdivision reviews and yes. working with the planning board. But that's just a small component of what they do. I yeah. mean, they are probably one of the more creative divisions. Oh, interesting. In the sense yeah. that they are always thinking about the big picture and the vision for the community and where do we want to go. Yes. So they're tasked with, for example, doing the master plan for the city, which is our roadmap yes. and which underlines all the other regulations for in terms of land use that we have. So the zoning ordinance is basically an offshoot of our master plan. So they work on drafting that, and that's a pretty large endeavor. Yeah. And they also work on other projects, such as, for example, we're doing a rezoning right now, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. They, If we acquire conservation property, we have over 7,000 acres wow. of conservation wow. property that belong to the city of Concord. And most of that property, if not all that property, was acquired through the staff work of the conservation, excuse me, of the planning division yes. working with the Conservation Commission. That's good. So they do a lot of great work, and they're just, they're super busy. We have an outstanding planning division, yes, like we, we do, do for the entire department, but yeah. I just really want to give them a lot of credit for a lot of the work that's that nice. they've done. That's nice, yes. Um, and then we have code, code administration. Mm -hmm. That's our third division. And if you think of a city government as being sort of a regulator. <laughs> which we uh, are, yeah. Which we are to a certain extent, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> the uh, code administration division, they're probably the most archetypical in terms of being the Correct. regulatory yeah, enforcement yeah. arm of community yeah. development. So uh, building permits, trade permits, plumbing, electrical permits, things like that, they handle. They do all the construction inspections as well for those permits. That's good. Yeah. They also conduct all the health and restaurant inspections. So if you eat in any restaurant in the city of Concord, our, our code enforcement or code administration division staff will have been in that restaurant, done that inspection. It's good to know. It's good, it's good to know. Absolutely <laughs> good to know. They also enforce our city zoning ordinance. And probably the, the most quirkiest thing they do is they issue special event permits. So we've had all kinds mm -hmm. of, you know, really interesting special events, quirky special events, everything from, you know, bringing like livestock downtown. Interesting. Goats. Zoos, goats <laughs> uh, to, you know, other like full parades, things like yep. that, uh, concerts. So they, they work with the event promoters yep. to make sure that all that runs as well as possible. And they work with all the other departments as well to coordinate that effort. So they do a lot of great, great work. That's good to know. And then finally, perhaps the most important <laughs> division in community development, by far, I'm sure, based upon the company that we're keeping right now, <laughs> is the Economic Development Office. And yes. so that obviously is you. You are. You, I'm it. You're it. <laughs> you do a great job. Solo. <laughs> Absolutely. You work with our local business community and yes, our development community to mm -hmm. uh, first priorities to grow the tax base. Yes. As everybody knows, in New Hampshire, based on our taxing structure, Tax-based growth is crucial mm -hmm. for local communities and do a mm -hmm. great job. And also working uh, to generate jobs and yeah. new business for, yeah. for Concord. So uh, the department is a great place. It's always an exciting 
exciting day. There's never there's a always day. something. <laughs> there's always something you can imagine. These four functions, and then on top of that, everything else that happens in the city. I mean, yes. there's always something going on. So yeah, it's, it's a great place to work. It keeps us busy. I have to be. I don't think there's any weeks that's the same. It's always something different. Absolutely. But that's what I think is attractive about working in a city. It is. It's not predictable. But we try and keep on top of things as best we can. Um, but I like this. Like we, we try and make it better for everybody as well. So that's really good. So looking into the... Um, oh, so in your opinion, what is the biggest impact the Community Development Department has done in the last five years? Well, I'd say that everything we've done has had an impact. <laughs> uh, but I think if I pointed to one thing, it is pretty pretty clear that it's the Main Street project. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So community development was the lead department in the Main Street project, so we actually applied for the grant, that the, the Tiger Grant, that yep. was a federal grant that helped fund five, nearly $5 million of that project. We also led all the presentations, worked with the Project Advisory Committee, and eventually we hosted over 70 that's at 7-0 public yeah. meetings yeah, that's a lot. for that project. Um, and that project truly was emblematic of the best in government in the yeah. sense of working with the community to make this transformative change really means something and to really take into account everyone's voice in mm -hmm. Concord. So, for example, I can tell you that the first design and ideas we had for the Main Street project, not only how it was going to look, but how it was going to be built, were completely different from the ideas that eventually were huh. translated into construction. So it morphed as, as people's ideas came in and Absolutely. stuff. Okay. We were very conscious of working with the community and very conscious particularly of working with the local merchants downtown. So very important, yeah. There were over 200 businesses on Main Street and sort of the impacted area mm -hmm. of where construction was going to happen. And we wanted to make sure that those businesses were going to be able to thrive during construction. Yeah. And in fact, we saw that where new businesses actually opened up during construction. Which really? I've, wow. been, I've been doing this over <laughs> now over 20 years, and that has never happened. Usually wow. construction projects, you pray that you don't lose a business. Yes. In this case, we, we added businesses. So we were That's very... really unique. That was, to us, a true indicator of yeah. this project works because it's been a collaborative effort throughout. Yeah. yeah. And so that we're very proud of our staff and the work that they did during that project. It's a game changer. I mean, when I, I talk to people that have uh, not been to Concord for a while or new to Concord... They always say the main street is just so attractive. It's so brilliant. And we had a weird mascot there. There's a story behind that mascot, I believe. We did. So Digger. Digger, Digger the Tiger. That's it. Uh, Digger's a great so so Digger, so a little backstory here. Um, our we used Carnone and Associates as our public relations company for this Main Street project, which is the first time City Council actually hired a consultant to do communications for a yes. project which was a wonderful it's critical. investment. Yeah. It was critical to the success of the project in mm. terms of keeping everyone informed. But in preparing to roll out the project and the communications package, Brett St. Clair, who used to be with Carno at the time, had a, this great idea. He came across <laughs> on one of these online auction sites, he came across this tiger costume. <laughs> and I always wondered what Brett was looking for when he came across a tiger costume <laughs> online in the middle of the night. But uh, so he, he bought it, he, he bought it, and he tells me, he's like, listen, I got this costume. Do you think, you know, we might want to use this? Because it's, and I said, Brett, look, you're, I'm hiring you to do communications. Yep. So you're the expert. Don't ask me because I don't know. <laughs> if, if I knew, I wouldn't hire you. Uh, so Brett had the idea for it. And eventually Digger, the tiger, uh -huh. became just this great sort of rallying figure for this yeah. project that cross generation. So we knew that we were getting communication out and we we're going to obviously hit merchants and yeah. residents, things like that. But what about the children? Yeah, true. And so there are many great photos that we have from the project where Digger 
is you know holding little children's hands is like a line of like five <laughs> and six year olds and they're following Digger or he's or he's digging a hole. Oh neat! And the kids are there watching him dig a hole or he shows up at a city council meeting, and so that was huh. really important because we wanted to make sure that the everybody yeah. felt like this was their project, including yeah. the little kids, because the little kids I'm sure will always have this memory. Oh, they of, will. of this tiger, if not maybe the project, but remember the tiger. <laughs> And hopefully they'll be able to associate it with, you know, government at its, at its finest in the Good. sense like, here's something that was positive. Yeah. We made a change, transformed the community, and they have a recollection of that. And so they were inspired, hopefully, by that. So, yeah. so it was great. great. It was a wonderful And it was interesting because it's based on a tiger grant anyway. We got tiger grants. So yeah, tiger grants. Digger. It worked out really, really well. We didn't violate any copyright laws that we're <laughs> aware of, at least. So that was good. No Disney laws, though. No, no, I don't think so. No, it was great. And hopefully make a reappearance one day, I hope. Hopefully they dry clean it. So. Yeah. <laughs> so looking into the, both the immediate future and beyond, what can you share with our listeners on what is on the horizon, which will continue to make this wonderful city of ours even better? So to answer that question, I think I need to start off with sort of the challenge that we're facing right now mm -hmm. as a community. So uh, from a regulatory perspective, in terms of land use, our, our biggest challenge is we have a zoning ordinance that, in my estimation, is very, very much outdated. Mm -hmm. So our current zoning ordinance, which regulates all land use, was, yeah. was adopted in 2001. Yeah. But as you probably know, anytime you adopt something that's so massive, yeah. it takes several years to create that document. That's right, yeah. So this product, the zoning ordinance that we're on, all working on, is really a product of the 1990s. And so it's outdated. Right. Yeah. That 1990s mindset where at the time it really looked at our community as if we were going to be a suburban community, mm. very vehicle-oriented community. Yeah. And so, in fact, there are many districts in our community where the zoning that's overlaid over the actual built environment makes it seem as if the built environment is completely nonconforming. So there are mm. entire districts like in, where the West End, mm -hmm. uh, the areas, for example, uh, Bradley, Jackson Street, those yeah, areas yeah. near Kimball Park, yeah. where you've got great stock of housing. You have homes that were built in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they all sort of mesh together. They, mm. they form a coherent palette in the neighborhood, right? That's true. Homes yeah. that come right up to the sidewalk, every kind of house may look slightly different, but it has the same sort of feel to it. Yeah. But if those property owners ever wanted to sort of rebuild their homes in those same lots because of our zoning ordinance, they'd have to build something they'd be completely different. It would be completely yeah. out of character. So it should change the neighborhood, basically. Absolutely. And yeah. I don't think anybody would want to see that. So you'd no. have to have these, these significant setbacks from the sidewalk and from the sides. And it wouldn't look the same. It would look like you have this gaping hole in the middle of your, mm. of your great little, you know, socially meshed neighborhood. Yeah. And... So what the result is that a lot of property owners, if they do want to make changes, have had to go to the Zoning Board of Adjustment to seek relief. Yeah. And so that creates several challenges, right? Yeah. Because for a property owner, now you're talking, you have to go to the Zoning Board. You're not familiar with how that works, number one. Yeah. Then you have to pay for that because it's a $400 fee, if I'm not mistaken, no, to, to apply yeah. to go to the Zoning Board. You may have to hire a land use attorney or an engineer or a surveyor, all three, to make your case if you don't feel comfortable dealing with the there's a lot of legalese in the zoning yeah, board process yeah because you have to prove based on the statutes that you have a hardship huh. and so all those factors just really don't make sense now because we're getting increasingly more and more of those requests yeah and we're seeing that not just in residential we're seeing in a commercial so it's really the, the red flag that the zoning ordinance has reached its useful we life. need to change it absolutely yeah, yeah. And the planning division recognized that, and, and the, the city council is working to recognize that. So we're working on an overhaul, a complete rewrite mm -hmm. of our zoning ordinance. Hmm. And the first phase we should have adopted hopefully in the spring of 2020. Okay. Uh, that'll be in sort of the general downtown areas of Concord, and okay. downtown and just beyond downtown. 
and then it will go citywide by hopefully by the end of 2020. So it's going to be phased out throughout the city. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. See how it goes, and yeah. Right. And it'll be a code that'll be much more flexible for our community, so people will have much more of a in line with what they have today. So yeah. Their built environment, and so they're not going to have to, again, do something that's so alien to their street or their neighborhood. Yeah, which is good. I mean, it it makes it. Um, It'll look nicer, more dense. It'll be in with what people want nowadays. It's not just something completely different. And, yeah, Absolutely. I think it's a great move forward. Right, and I'd w- just welcome the listeners to just uh, keep following the event uh, and the, the planning process. Actually, there is a conquerednext.biz mm-hmm. uh, website where mm-hmm. this you can follow this whole initiative, and there will be public hearings, I'm sure, over the next several months, so I invite everyone to attend. I think that's a very good. And, uh, and again, listeners, I think it's very important if you want to be part of this process and, and hear what's going on, just come to some of these public meetings. You can find details on, on the website Carlos is my, 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 uh, talking about. Yeah, and actually, I think I may have given you the wrong ending to the, the suffix of the website. It's conconnects.info, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. So, and if, if that not, doesn't work... If, it's on our website. <laughs> You can find the link. <laughs> you can find the link. You can always get hold of me as well. I'm still used to dot coms and dot, dot gov, coms. So there's a lot of changes now. <laughs> there's a lot of those. So I know you've streamlined many processes on this in the city uh, to make it easier for people to do business. Could you outline some of these process improvements to our listeners? One of the things that we always stress, and you know, is that any new employee in community development, mm-hmm. uh, my first conversation with that employee is to let them know that welcome aboard, firstly. Yeah. And then secondly, <laughs> that we are to be partners in the success of Absolutely. our residents, our developers, mm-hmm. our business owners, et cetera. And as hokey as that might seem, which it is hokey, it sounds hokey, but it's but true. It's very important. But it's very important. It's, important. Mantra, it, yeah. it's truly something that I've always lived by in terms of my professional yeah. career. And what that means to me is that a, for us to succeed as a local government, we need our community to succeed. And so the projects mm-hmm. have to succeed. And so that means if there's a project that someone has or an idea for a project and it doesn't work mm-hmm. because of the wrong zoning district, the wrong piece of land, or the idea needs some tweaks, then rather than say no, mm-hmm. which I think some other communities out there still feel I that way, it's just do. easier to say, yeah. nope, this doesn't work here, bye-bye. We don't do that. We, we basically say, look, it may not work here, but it could work on this other piece of land. Mm-hmm. Or you may want to change this layout, do something different mm-hmm. to provide options for people. So that's critical to success mm-hmm. because ultimately for the tax base to grow, mm-hmm. you know, things that I know are very important to you, mm-hmm. we need to actually have projects. So if we keep turning away projects that have vi- that could be viable, mm-hmm. then we're really not helping the And case. we get to be known as a city that doesn't want to do business Whereas with the way that we work currently, we're getting that reputation of a city that wants business. Right, right. We've worked, everyone's worked really hard to get mm-hmm. there. And so it's critical that we're open to mm-hmm. ideas, still obviously trying to maintain the quality of Concord, which a lot of people have come to appreciate. Mm-hmm. But in that mindset, one of the things, the challenges that everyone on our department has is if you come across something in your professional capacity, a regulation, a policy, an ordinance, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, that doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah then let's talk about it rather than just enforce something that doesn't make sense. Because the last thing I ever want to hear <laughs> is to have a conversation with, with a resident, for example. And the resident says, why, why do I have to do this? And we have to, we can't explain it ourselves. Then that, there's an issue. That's a true issue <laughs> because we should be able to explain it. And it should, be, it should make sense because, again, regulations are, they're my, again, my estimation, largely a product of a time, a reaction mm-hmm. to a time. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a perfect example. So last year we went through and we made a bunch of changes to uh, outdated p- 
policies and ordinances. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones we ran across, there was a, entire sections in the ordinance banning or restricting dancing in Concord. Because <laughs> you've not got me out there. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was right. It was the funniest thing because actually if you looked at the dates, the ordinances all have dates when they were adopted. The yeah. dates all lined up to the early 1980s which coincidentally was when the movie Footloose came out. Oh, my Lord, yes. And for the listeners out there, hopefully you remember that Footloose was about a town yeah. that's kind of set in the Midwest, it seems, mm -hmm. where dancing was prohibited. Yes, right. So it seems like there was a movement of foot, and Concord <laughs> got swept up in that Footloose movement. Um, so, yes, there were all these things prohibiting dancing. Well, no one's enforced this ordinance no. in decades. No. But it's still on the books. So th that kind of stuff, let's clean that out, let's get yeah. rid of it, and let's even things that we may be enforcing, why are we enforcing? Let's continuously ask those questions. Yeah. So a couple of key things that we did do yeah. based on that mindset was, for example, impact fees. Oh, yes. Yes. Very important. So impact fees were, again, a product of a time in the late 90s, early 2000s. A lot of communities around the country figured out that there's a lot of growth. And yeah. so there was a concern about the change to their communities based on a lot of growth, like hundreds of new houses were being built in many communities, if not thousands in some of these other fast-growing communities yeah. elsewhere in the country, other commercial development. And so they wanted to make sure that they could, A, generate some revenue in terms of fees from that growth to address the impact on public infrastructure. And secondly, create a mechanism through this fee that would slow some of that growth down. Yeah. Concord was not exempt from that. Concord actually adopted an impact fee back mm -hmm. in the early 2000s also. That worked fine while you had growth. Yeah. And then you have the Great Recession yeah. in 2008. And we are still recovering from that recession. Yeah. So our numbers, in terms of, for example, new housing, are nowhere near what they used to be. Yeah, that's true. And even commercial growth is still kind of stagnant. Yeah, and we're, is, you know, yeah. we're seeing you know, peaks of it, but it's not consistent like we may have had before. Mm -hmm. So the impact is really don't help that because instead now they're just obstacles. So they're not, they're not curtailing growth. They're basically just stopping growth altogether in some yeah. respects because people will look at this. And just for the listener to get an idea of magnitude, some projects, for example, larger projects, you could be talking $300,000 worth of you know, impact fees. Before you even start. Before you start. It doesn't mm -hmm. even count your building permit fees and other mm -hmm. things. So, so that, that can be a pretty daunting number. So we talked to the city council over the last several years, and the council absolutely understands this, this challenge because they figure out, look, impact fees, you get those if you actually have projects. But if you can't get the projects, you don't get the impact fees, and you don't get the tax base. So you're not getting <laughs> anything. So... Let's figure out what we can do. And the council, thanks to the suggestion of, of the community development department, has gone ahead and eliminated, uh, for example, school impact fees. Mm -hmm. They've eliminated, um, through an, a waiver, impact fees on commercial development. That's good. They've also, through a waiver, eliminated impact fees on some residential development in our historic downtowns, both in Penacook and in Concord. Okay, that's interesting so to know. So they're making these changes, and we continue to make changes. That's one. Uh, we've also made changes to other, other things, for example, thresholds for site plans. Hmm. There used to be a rule that if you were making even a modest addition to your property, and it happened to be in the civic district down in the general downtown, downtown area, yeah. that you had to go to the major site plan review process through the mm -hmm. planning board. Well, that's two months of review. Yeah. Yeah. You're obligated to hire at least a surveyor, if not an engineer. You're probably going to hire an attorney. I mean, it's going to be thousands of dollars hmm. when you simply want to do a very small addition. Didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. No. And so that was something that was limited. So things like that we continue to work mm -hmm. on every single day. That's cool. So, outside of being part of the city administration, you are very active in organizations such as ICMA, the world's leading association of professional city and county managers. It would be interesting to hear more about this and what other organizations or initiatives you are involved in locally or nationally. 
So the ICMA, the uh, International City and County Management Association, is really close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I that I the, do know. <laughs> I know. I had the uh, honor of being on their board for three years, and it was amazing. So this is an organization of 11,000 members, over 11,000 members across the, the world, actually. Good. And they advocate for ethical, transparent, council manager form of government. Mm. And that is something that's very dear to me because here in Concord, I think we have a, a prime example of it here mm-hmm. in the city of Concord with the city council and the city manager, Thomas Bell, that work really well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but the ICMA also promotes programs around the, around the world in terms mm-hmm. of good governance in the third world, for example. That's good. And locally, one of the things that I've been able to work with is taking the premise and the, and the principles of ICMA and translating them to work that we do with the University of New Hampshire MPA program. Oh, interesting. So there's actually an ICMA chapter at UNH hmm. where we have students who are interested in pursuing local government as a career. That's good news. It we need news. people to come in behind us. We do. We do. <laughs> it's funny. I, I mentioned it to my son who's 13 years old. I said my son, was he's been talking about a career, looking at that now, aside from playing soccer professionally. That's, <laughs> and, the, and I said, how about local government? And he still looks at me like, what? What? <laughs> So I'm trying to convince more people that this is a career. It is a very fulfilling It is exciting. Career. It is exciting, absolutely. So that that chapter tries to accomplish that, trying to foster it, like you said, the next generation. And we also have, through the Municipal Management Association in New Hampshire, I coordinate the fellowship program for, for that program. And every okay. summer, we, we place about two to three fellows in communities around the country working for city and town managers. Again, learning principles of good government, getting mm-hmm. experience so that one day they can go out and become department heads or mm-hmm. or uh, city managers or, town, or assistant city managers, etc. So mm-hmm. Good and, initiative. And so it's a lot about coaching and mentoring. It's really stuff yeah. that I truly enjoy. And it sticks with people. The, having real-life experience like that is so important for them because they, they see, especially I'm very proud of where the, we, we run the city of Concord here. It's uh, There's some great practices there, and it's good to hear that there's other organizations, cities around New Hampshire, uh, towns and cities that are helping with this initiative too, so that's really good. Yep, I actually have to... Uh, tip my hat and, and give my gratitude to some of the managers out there who have helped with that initiative, like you mentioned. So uh, the managers, for example, in Laconia and Keene and, and Dover and obviously in Concord have all been outstanding and great partners to work with. Oh, that's great news. That's great. So what do you love about Concord? And what do you like to, to love to do when you're not busy working here at the city? So Concord is Besides the beauty of the area, yes, I mean, it's just yes. the the city itself has a lot of beauty to it, and the, just the general region in New Hampshire is just a wonderful place. And I'm, but the thing that I'm most struck with every single day is the the high level of social capital in yeah. our community. Yeah, I have never ever lived or worked in a, in a place where people are so passionate about volunteer volunteerism mm-hmm. uh, to the point, for example, just using the city mm-hmm. as a model. We have over fifty volunteer committees at the wow. city wow. and these are committees that actually make a difference so I and I and I welcome the listeners out there to if you're interested in the committee check out our city website mm-hmm. look at all the committee lists uh, if you're interested in any particular thing reach out to the city clerk and submit your resume for consideration because mm-hmm. that's where the true work is done the city council very much relies on these committees because yeah. they have they do a lot of the, the research they have the, the sort of the pulse of the community yeah, that's so it's great. And like that's work and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's just the city side. I mean, I'm just not even talking about the rest of the community. If you walk around downtown, you will see a nonprofit agency probably on every single city, mm-hmm. city street mm-hmm. um, because people believe that there is good to be done in, this, in our yeah. community. And so yeah. they step up to the plate and they really get it done. And to me, that's that's really fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
And then the one thing I'd also like to add is, I, and I see it sort of reflected in the same paradigm, which is the city council. So yeah. um, whenever I sit down with managers in a, in a social setting, city managers around the country, one of the things that we always end up doing is lamenting, you know, some of the <laughs> bad stuff that happens, right? <laughs> and they and they, they go on with their war stories. Yeah. And when they look at me for my war stories, <laughs> I have to say, I was like, no, I, we have the good fortune here of having, yeah. again, this very imbued, passionate, volunteer-oriented, right. ethical community. Yeah. And we see it in the city council. We have a 15-member city council, which is a very large it's council. Quite big. <laughs> but work extremely well together. They have a really high value for civility. Mm-hmm. And they listen to their constituents. And when you can have a meeting where you can have that civil discourse, I think a lot can get done. And I'm blessed to work with both the city manager, Thomas Spell, and the city council. Mm -hmm. That has just been uh, very, I don't want to use the term progressive because that's politically loaded nowadays. I just want to say that they're very forward thinking. Yes, they are. And they're very courageous in the sense of even during the depths of the recession, they were cognizant we have to continue investing in our community. And they kept with our, their capital program, and they kept moving forward, and that really made a difference to the point that we are thriving now, mm-hmm. and I see a lot more potential because so of I. that sort of cur- courage that they had. It's a continued vision that they have, and they they I what I really commend them for is that they they listen to the staff, they they believe you know what we do in our job, they they take it on con- and consider it, and they they move on that too. So yeah, I t- totally. So at Christmas. I know I have my own, own English traditions, which I like to do, such as having a lighted Christmas pudding as a dessert for Christmas dinner. Do the Portuguese have any such traditions, and do you keep some of them at home? So the Portuguese do have a lot of traditions. Uh, we are the, by the way, the we, we beat you guys, actually, because <laughs> we are the oldest nation state in Europe, huh. 1143. Really? So, before yeah, us? Before you guys. Good Lord. So, <laughs> At least that's what I was told in, in, in Portuguese yeah, school yeah, growing yeah, up. Yeah, go to England. They'll tell you something uh, different. Sure something different. <laughs> uh, so there are a lot of traditions. And in fact, Christmas was one of the, the, the most sort of memorable and cherished traditions that huh. I had as, as a child and my family had. So Christmas Eve in my house was the, the place to be. Yeah. So we would have 20 to 30 relatives in, in New Bedford. That's that, a group. <laughs> yeah, they would come over. And we'd have tables lined up. And, yeah. And food is critical. So the Portuguese people... Yeah. Like a lot of really cultures, I'm sure, but the Portuguese people in, in, in particular that I'm familiar with, it's all about food and yeah. quantity and quantity and quantity of <laughs> and food. More. And more and more food. The, one, the worst thing you can do as a host in the Portuguese house is run out of food. That is like, <laughs> that's the shame you'll never overcome. So, so there's lots of food. So we had multiple courses. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't believe in buffets, so it's no. all multiple courses. Oh, sit wow. down. And so you'd have, you know, Christmas Eve would be, you'd start out, for example, with a... You might have some pork loin. Yeah. Then you work your next course. It might be some codfish and potatoes. <laughs> and then you'd have some octopus, which is by far my favorite food. Your favorite. <laughs> absolute Christmas food. And then you go on. The next dish might be, for example, shrimp. And so, you know, hmm. we'd, we'd buy like 40 or 50 pounds of shrimp. <laughs> and they just, you know, of course, as a child, you're like, oh, my God, I got to buy all this shrimp. And I have to clean this shrimp for hours with my parents. And oh, no. It was, uh, yeah, but it was worth it in the end. Because you got a good shrimp. You got great shrimp. And yeah. so... We did all that, and of course the pastry, the pastries, and the different desserts oh, and things nice. like that. So, yeah, uh, Christmas Eve was great. Now, the the drawback to all that is that living in Concord, I think we have about five Portuguese people. I'm going to say there's not many in the general <laughs> Greater Concord area. 
Uh, so it's a little tougher. Uh, yeah. So what I do is if I go back to New Bedford, which I do frequently, yeah. uh, you know, I can stop there and supply and, and get stuff. But yeah. I, I ha- I'm almost ashamed to say I don't follow a lot of the traditions anymore no. just here just because. You just don't have the quantity of people. I don't have the quantity of people no. here, up here anymore. So it's a little tough. But, uh, but you still have tastes of home. Absolutely. So that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for spending time with me today, Carlos. It's been great. It has been. So conquered, so much to talk about. Again, so let's keep the conversation going. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. Until next time.